Neville family, it is good to see you this morning. A lot of good stuff going on. Last Sunday, we had a community group launch. If you have not got connected to a community group, I encourage you to go online or in the Church Center app and find a group for you. we got groups. Uh, we got Spanish-speaking group. We have groups for dads and for moms, co-ed groups. There's all types of groups to get you connected to help make this your family. That's where you're going to find care and connection and the communication you're wanting out of this chapel family. A really cool story. Uh, obviously, we have an online presence on YouTube and Facebook, and one of our worship leaders this morning is talking about how a good friend of hers is from Japan, and her family is back in Japan watching every single week our online services. So you may not have been to Japan, but you are ministering to Japan right now at this church. So it is a cool thing. Here are your Bibles. You can turn them open to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our master class series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's master class on Life. It's where he's trying to teach the disciples how to live in the kingdom of heaven, live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And last we talked about being poor in spirit and what that means to be blessed when you're poor in spirit. And then we're going to talk about being uh, comforted as mourners. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize Toy is becoming just like her mom. But I also realize I'm becoming just like my dad. Like I'm starting to look more like him, talk like him. You know, when I smile, we, we took some pictures a while back. When I smile, my eyes disappeared just like my dad's. Like, I'm starting to look just like him. And I say things that are just like my dad. The other morning, Toy's brushing her teeth, and she rinsed her toothbrush off, put the toothpaste on, and left the water running as she walked away. And I was like, no, no, you can't waste that water. Fish will die if you waste that water. Cut that off. Or the kids, they'll open the refrigerator door, and they'll walk away, and they'll hear me, hey, shut the refrigerator door. Or they turn every light on in the house, and they go to another room while every, I'm like, hey, turn those lights off. You're wasting energy. Or if they're eating, hey, clean your plate. Don't waste your food. Like, I steal. I gain weight now because I'm still obeying my parents. Clean your plate. I clean it as much as I possibly can. Why? You don't want to waste something. Right? We don't want to waste electricity. We don't want to waste water. We don't waste food. But when you realize that in the kingdom of heaven, there's absolutely nothing that goes to waste. That God uses everything for the good of those who love him. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, he says this on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Everybody say comforted. You know, it's, it's interesting. It, there's other translations that actually says, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be happy. Happy are those who mourn. It's a it's really weird play on words, but then this message verse says, you are blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. It's a powerful message. Later on in Luke, Luke chapter 6, kind of a summary of the same sermon. Mount, there's some woes that are attached to it. He says, woe are those who laugh now, for they won't laugh later. It's kind of the summary paraphrase of what he's saying. And so Jesus is speaking counterculturally to these disciples saying, listen, if you're mourning, it's good. You'll be blessed and happy. But if you're enjoying life now and you're going through the motions, woe to you. And so it's a really interesting play on words. And, and what I think is going on is Jesus is showing us that even if you're mourning, there's purpose in your mourning. Because in the kingdom of heaven, nothing is wasted. Like God will use your mourning to do something in your life. There's purpose in your suffering, like those moments, those seasons of life, you just feel like you can't make it through. 
those seasons of heartbreak and frustration, those seasons where it feels like your life is falling apart, those seasons where it looks like your family's falling apart, those seasons where it looks like you're losing everything, there's actual purpose in that. Like I, I texted a bunch of pastors this morning in our Bible reading plan in Exodus, when, they, when God delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt, it says he didn't take them in a straight line into the promised land. He took them in circles wandering around the wilderness. And, and what's amazing to me is that is God is purposely making them wander, not to dis- discourage them, but to confuse the enemy, which means there's purpose in our wandering. There's purpose in the seasons that look like you're just going through circle and circle and cycle and cycle and frustration and frustration. God is actually using that to confuse the enemy to get you where he wants you to be. Like your losses in life. Like with COVID, like I've done more funerals in the past two years than I've ever done in my life. And I've seen more heartbreak and more loss in that. But you know, God is not going to allow that loss to go to waste. He's going to use it to draw you closer to him. In those moments in life where it just feels like you're losing control, whether it's a bad report, whether it's sickness or disease or cancer or diabetes, and you just feel like it's the end of everything, God uses it. There is nothing wasted in the kingdom of heaven. We have a God who will pick up the pieces and make something better out of everything life tries to break. Like, I I don't know everything. I know there's been seasons in my life that I thought were just absolutely terrible seasons. But when I look back, seasons that I thought, man, I'm not going to make it through this. Seasons I'm like, God, what are you up to? Seasons where I'm like crying out to God, God, why? And we can all be pious and pretend like we never ask God why, but we all ask God why. Like, God, why in the middle of it you're so distracted by pain or frustration or doubt or discouragement that all you can ask is why, but then when you look back 5, 10, 15 years later, you can see God's hand all in it. And I think that's what he's trying to say here is that blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for at some point they'll realize that all the things they went through, I was working together for their good. See, when Paul said in Romans that he works all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he meant all things. He meant the good and he meant the bad. He meant the mountaintops, and he meant the valleys. He meant, he meant the ditch that you found yourself in and the trophy you were awarded. He means all things. God is this maestro who the enemy thinks he, got, he has got in checkmate, but God takes that and turns it around for your good. See, there's a God. He doesn't allow anything to go to waste in our lives. He uses it for our purposes. It says this. I love this scripture. It says, you have kept count of my tossings, Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. So, so David is writing this and he's saying, I know that God is for me, but he's in the middle of weeping and mourning and crying out to God. And he says, God literally catches my tears and puts them in a bottle. Those moments, I remember when I was a teenager, man, I was going through hell in a handbasket. And I would cry. I didn't even believe in God. I would cry out to a God that was a stranger. And I would cry out, you know, over teenage stuff, like the girl that I thought I was going to marry at 14, and she broke my heart. 
Or I thought I was going to play in the NBA and then I blew my knee out as a sophomore and I was crying my heart out. That every one of those tears God has in a bottle in some storeroom in heaven. When my grandfather passed away, who was kind of the, a major father figure in my life, that those tears got caught in a bottle. In those rough seasons of life that all I could do was weep and cry, God caught those tears in a bottle. Do you realize that you have never wasted a tear? That every tear, as David said, you put my tears in your bottle. See, it may feel like it's heartbreak to you. But for God, it's an opportunity to get close enough to you to capture your tears, to begin to use them to remold you, reshape you, and draw you closer than you've ever been before. We, do you realize, you're, I know we're in the Bible Belt, do you realize out of all the religions in the world, there is not a God in Islam, there is not a God in Hinduism, there's not a God in Buddhism, there's not some secular agnostic theory or theology that brings a God this close that he captures our tears in a bottle. And that he doesn't allow the pains of life and the heartbreaks of life to be used for nothing. He brings purpose to everything we go through. Even the early Israelites, the Hebrews, they have found bottles they call tear bottles. They actually like, look like a vase, and there'd be two openings at the top. They'd put them on their eyes, and they'd actually capture their own tears. And it felt like when the bottle was full, that God would rain down grace from heaven. Like, we serve a God. Could you imagine? Like, you're not going to find a friend in life who's going to sit next to you for all of your life and capture your tears in a bottle. Like, we serve a God who brings it all together. Why? Because heartbreak is a fact of life. Like, you can't live life and not experience some type of heartbreak. Like, you can experience loss of a loved one. Maybe you're a widow. Maybe you've lost a child in miscarriage. You may, we've all experienced heartbreak. We've experienced hatred. We've experienced injustices. We've experienced violence. There's all types of things we've experienced. It's a fact of life. But mourning is the kingdom's bridge from heartbreak to happiness. It's literally this bridge. God says, whoa, if you're mourning... There's a reason you're mourning, because it's heartbreak. Mourning is the bridge between heartbreak and happiness or comfort. God uses your mourning as a bridge between where you are in your pain to where he wants you to be in his presence. The problem is we just don't know how to mourn. The problem is he says, blessed are those who mourn, and we're so pious and religious and put on our best face, we never actually cross the bridge. See, mourning invites God into our pain and our heartbreak. It, it's this cry out that invites God in that we are free will creatures. Yes, God is sovereign, but we are free will. I believe the only thing God can't do. Now, if you're a Calvinist, you're going to hate this comment. I believe the only thing God cannot do is change our free will. I believe prayer is the invitation of a sovereign God into our free will. That God, if, if God could change our free will, Satan would have never fallen from heaven. If God could change our free will, Adam and Eve would have never sinned. 
But they did because God's not going to control us. He wants to love us. And there's a difference. And so mourning is this prayer of invitation. They used to call that mourning is the tears of prayer that draw God into our heartbreak and our pain and invite him into my broken areas. That invite him into my pain. That invite him into my heartbreak. That invite him into my suffering. That invite him into my loss. And so mourning, mourning mourning is not just hurting. Mourning is an expression of hurting. So we all hurt, but we're just not good at expressing it. And so mourning is to express or experience sorrow and heartbreak. Meaning, I mean, not only do I hurt, but I'm going to share that hurt publicly. I'm going to share that pain publicly. I'm going to share that pain with God. I'm going to release that pain. Mourning is this release of heartbreak and suffering and grieving and pain and frustration and discouragement. It's a release from the soul outwardly. And when Jesus is saying we mourn, it's, there's three areas of mourning. We mourn over loss. Like we, can, we can pretend. It's amazing how in American culture, we, let me differentiate. It's amazing how in the American white culture, how much different a funeral is than it is in the black culture. In the black culture, there's a mourning that's released of loss. In the white culture, it's we're trying to put our best face forward and pretend like everything's okay. If you go anywhere else in the world, mourning is this long process of grieving and weeping and lamenting and pouring out. Why? It's a release of pain. And loss is real. We're all going to experience it. We've all already experienced it. I remember first time I really dealt with loss, my grandfather died when I was in fifth grade on my mom's side. I didn't really, I didn't really understand it, but when I was 14, and I had a lot of friends die when I was in high school, when I was 14, one of my buddies died in a car accident. And so it was the 90s. In the 90s, like, it was a hip-hop culture, tattoos, like R.I.P. tattoos. I'm 14. I gave myself a tattoo with Dustin's initials in my leg with regular ballpoint pen ink. The tattoo lasted about three days because it got so infected I couldn't wear my socks to basketball practice. And it was my way of mourning something. One person said, when we experience loss of loved ones, it's like drowning, never being able to catch your breath again. Like, it's a true loss. And so what Jesus is saying, bless those are more, he's really saying, as you release that sorrow, as you release that loss, I'll be there to comfort you. Mourning over suffering. Like suffering, that's the heartbreaks of life. That's when things happen to you, you never plan to happen. Like when you go to the doctor and they give you a diagnosis, you never, no one has in their 10-year plan a diagnosis of cancer. No one in their 10-year life plan has a, a child who turns away from God and starts living out in the world. No one in their 10-year life plan has a plan to go through a bitter divorce and splitting a household in two. In our life, like the suffering of life is when the circumstances go the opposite direction of what we're praying for. It's real. It's heartbreaking. But then the morning of sin, like our own sin. Like our own sin, we should be mourning. I think we've gotten so comfortable with sin, we no longer mourn over it. That when you think about, in Luke, I think Luke 18, Jesus talks about a Pharisee who's praying and a tax collector who's praying. And tax collectors were the lowest of the low in those days. It's almost like a Pittsburgh Steelers fan of the day. You've got a Titans fan and a Steelers fan. 
He says, the tax collector is praying, oh, Lord God, I'm so thankful I'm not a sinner like this man. And he's praying this pious, religious prayer. And this tax collector, who's saying he's just beating his chest, he's like, oh, God, have mercy on me. I'm just a sinner. And he's just pouring out his grief over the posture of his heart, realizing he can't fix himself. And Jesus says, this man will not be shown mercy, but this man will. They are both in the same amount of sin. One just pretended like he was cool. The other one mourned over his sin. See, there's a mourning that brings the grace of God towards us. But there's a a pretentiousness that rejects the grace of God. There's also mourning over sin in the world. Mourning over sin in me, but mourning over sin in the world. What that means is, I'm very disturbed at how the church in America has gotten so comfortable with the sin in America. Now, we'll look at sin and we just think, well, that's just culture. No, no, no. The root of all the junk we see on the news is not the result of American culture. It's the result of a fallen kingdom from heaven. It's the result of a sin nature that makes us selfish and greedy and seeking pleasure over everything else. And when people are selfish, they'll take advantage of each other. They'll steal, they'll murder, they'll take advantage. There's greed, there's power. All the things we see are a a symptom of a greater problem, which is sin. Pastor Anthony actually read that scripture in 2 Chronicles 7. That's what that scripture, he's saying, if you'll humble yourself and seek me and repent, I'll heal the land. What he's saying is, you're not ready yet. We think that scripture's a formula. He's saying, until sin breaks your heart, I'm not moving in. See, we think it's an event where we know we're going to have 2 Chronicles 7.14 day. We're going to pray at the national capital. No, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're still okay with the brokenness of sin that affects the violence in our black communities. You're still okay with the threat and abuse of life in abortion. You're still okay with that. You're still okay with systemic racism in this nation and brutality between police and the inner city. You're okay with the greed that's in our politics and our corporation. You're still okay with the sexual culture that exploits women and sex trafficking and prostitution. You're okay with the drug culture that's celebrated in our music and our movies and our TV. You're okay with the violence that's on everything we see from video games and YouTube. You're okay with it until it breaks your heart. I'm just waiting. See, the hurt is there, but until you mourn, there's no comfort. See, for the comfort comes from the mourning. See, in our piety, we don't want to mourn. We want to pretend like we have everything together and still hope God comes in. And I I saw a pastor in Indiana say this. We don't mourn, but Pastor Kondo, he says, we don't mourn, we minimize. Meaning, I show up to a funeral, hey, man, I'm so sorry for your loss, and I'm sorry you lost your, your mother or your father. It, it, it's okay, I'm, I'm doing fine. No, no, like, it's okay to mourn the loss of your mom or your dad. Like, you don't have to have a, no, no, it's okay. And we try to minimize pain. We try to minimize 
our grief. We try to minimize our sorrow. But when you minimize it, guess what doesn't move towards you? Comfort. We don't mourn, we deny it. Oh, no, I'm fine, I'm cool, I'm cool. I'm a man. I don't cry unless Alabama loses, and that's different type of tears. Auburn fans don't cry because their tear ducts are already dry. We, we, we don't mourn. We, we deny the fact we need to mourn. We deny the fact that we're actually hurt. We deny the fact we're actually grieving. We deny the fact we're actually broken. We deny the fact that sin has got us wrapped up in its power. We deny, we deny, we deny. That's why you can't have an authentic community. Is because we deny our need to be transparent and our need for other people to help us be comforted. We don't mourn, we, we numb it. We numb it. Why, why, why would I mourn when I can just numb myself with watching Facebook timelines all day so I have to think about the pain that I've gone through? What, why would I mourn when I can just drink my pains away and sorrows? If I stay drunk enough, I won't have to feel that pain. We're so adverse to pain, we'll cause pain just not to feel the pain. I'd rather experience alcoholic pain or drug addiction pain than this pain that my dad sent me through when I was 14 years old. Like, we, we, don't, we don't mourn, we just, we numb it. We numb it with drugs, we numb it with alcohol, we numb it with sex, we numb it with TV, we numb it with YouTube, we numb it with vices, we numb it with whatever. We, we just want to numb it because I don't want to feel this pain, so I'll do anything I can to numb it. We don't mourn, we blame. So instead of mourning my pain, mourning my bitterness, mourning whatever happened to me, we just start blaming other people for it. Because it's easier to create an enemy than it is to deal with what happened inside of me. It's easier to, to cause tension and division with somebody else out here than to start thinking about what's happening in here. And we are such surface-level people. We'll have a whole timeline of excuses and blame game rather than actually going through the process of healing the wounds that are deep inside of us, even if that means blaming God. So instead of me mourning the loss, I'll just blame God that, why did you take him away? And I, I've seen preachers preach this at funerals that, hey, you know, your, your mom didn't die of cancer, your dad didn't die of cancer, God took him home. No, 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 no. That's, I know I keep saying it, that's crap. Because what happens is, people that don't have a true understanding of God working all things together for good, that God doesn't cause death. He will use death to bring glory to his name and bring his children home. But he doesn't cause death. And so when somebody says that, what they think is, this is God's fault. This pain that I'm feeling, this heartbreak that I'm feeling that I don't know how to express because I've never had a way to, to process it before, this frustration, this discouragement, this doubt, these tears, like this is God's Fault. And I'd rather create an enemy of God than deal with what's going on inside of me. And we don't mourn, we get angry. We get angry at everything. If you ever meet somebody who's angry, they're not just an angry person. They're a hurt person. And they're so, so hurt on the inside, they don't know how to mourn. They don't know how to express that. They don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with a heartbreak, especially men. If there's an angry man, he's a broken man. 
He's not angry because his daddy was angry. He's angry because his daddy was broken too. And his daddy shared his brokenness with him. And they're broken people. And so instead of mourning, they just get angry. Because at least if it's anger, it's on the outside. Because I don't want to deal with what's on the inside. Because I'm a man. Daddy was a man. His daddy was a man. And real men don't cry. Okay, real men don't cry, but real men cuss and scream at their wife and their kids. Well, real men don't cry. We just, okay, so they, they push their weight around with everybody else, and they're powerful and controlling and manipulative. That's a real, no, no, real men cry because God blesses the mourners with comfort, and God is speaking to men and women on how to process pain in a way that draws them closer to God. We don't mourn, we just busy ourselves. I don't want to deal with my heartbreak, I don't want to deal with my pain, I don't want to deal with my suffering. So I'll just make myself so busy, I don't have to think about it. See, in our culture, we've lost the power of mourning. We've lost the power of tears. And so we still all deal with the exact same heartbreak. We just never get comforted from it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. All of us are experiencing hurt, whether we're inside this church, outside this church. We all experience heartbreak, but the blessing is attached to those who express it. The blessing is attached to those who can share their hurt with God and with his people to let what happens. And it's these prayer tears, this tear bottle concept that, if y'all remember Will Ford, de Havilland's husband was here, I think two years ago now, right before COVID happened, he had this big kettle that his family who were slaves had. They cooked with it, they served with it during the day, but they prayed into it at night. He described Revelation 8, there's these bowls in heaven, that there's incense, there's all this stuff happening in heaven. But a lot of intercessors believe these bowls in heaven are as you pray and as you intercede and as you pray and you intercede, when that bowl gets full, that's when God allows his presence and his grace and mercy to come out of it. It's the overflow of these prayer bowls. It's almost like, you know, when the kids were younger, we used to go to these water parks. And we go to Ohio because they were inside. You can go all year long at Christmas. We go see our family, go to these water parks. So they're inside water parks, which just means your nose is burned with the chlorine that stays in the air. They have these water slides, but every water park I've ever been to, in some form or fashion, has one of these huge buckets that lets water come into it. When the bucket fills up, it begins to tip over and pour water, like millions of gallons of water, breaking kids' necks as they stand underneath it. So I think these prayer bowls, even... Even the bottle of tears, I think as, as the tears begin to fill up the bottle, they're actually prayers. I believe as the prayer bowl is full, once it gets full, it begins to flow out, and that's when you begin to experience the comfort. See, if mourning's an expression, it's a release of pain for the soul. Tears are purging the soul of the pain that's within it. As it's poured out, I think as it overflows, then God pours his presence and his glory out. See, there's something to mourning that we're missing. And biblically, there's, there's lots of ways to mourn because hurt is inevitable for all of us, but mourning is a choice to express that pain. So it's not a matter if you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. You're going to experience the loss of a loved one, you're going to experience a bad report, you're going to experience a bad day, you're going to experience some bad circumstances. We're all going to experience it. But mourning is a choice to express that hurt to God and to his people. 
Like, like there's no way around it. Like, some are going to hurt and hold it within. And as they hold it within, they're never going to experience the blessing of comfort. And some are going to, what I would call, have a crier's anointing. Do you realize they used to call Christianity and even Judaism the crier's religion? Because there was this, this mentality that as I cry out, God hears me and answers my cries. And see, throughout the Bible, there's all types of ways to grieve. One was by weeping or crying. One's by loud uh, lamentations. Do you realize there's a whole book in the Bible about crying? Like lamentations of the whole book Jeremiah wrote, crying out to God. There's by disfigurement of the person or the rendering of the clothes. That if somebody lost a level, they'd actually rip their clothes. They would throw ashes on their head. They would fast. They would sprinkle dust or ashes on a person. They would shave the head or pluck out the hair of the head or the beard. I'm not touching my beard. They would fast. They'd even sit in silence. Job, when he was experiencing suffering and loss, and as he began to mourn, his two friends just came up beside of him and just sat there. You know, a pastoral tip, that sometimes it's uncomfortable when you walk into a, a, a bleak situation or a loss. You know, you don't have to say a word. Your presence speaks more than your words ever will. Job sits there, his two friends come sit beside him, and that's all he needed to mourn the loss of his family and his kids. But the problem is, later on in the traditions of Judaism, they stopped mourning and they started paying mourners to mourn for them. De Havilland talked about this a couple weeks ago at our conference. But so instead of mourning, they would pay people because they had now had luxury of, of more money. They would begin to pay people to mourn for them. So we were in Haiti a couple years ago and we actually had to go to a funeral of one of the children that died in North Haiti. We're at this funeral. And when I say there was wailing, like screaming, wailing, mourning, the problem with it is they didn't know the person. They were paid to cry. I've already got mine paid. When I die, y'all going to think I'm the most loved man in the world. Like they, they were paying. They didn't know them. So it's, it's, it's not authentic. And see, here's what I think has happened to the American church. In our luxuries, in our prosperity, we have subbed out too much of our relationship with Jesus to other people. Let me say this. Years ago, in the Methodist church especially, and some other denominations in Pentecostal, they used to call what they call a mourner's bench, which we now call an altar, or a wailing bench, where they'd come and they would mourn over their sin, they'd mourn over their suffering, they'd mourn over their loss, because they believed there was a, an anointing in crying. I believe we've subbed that out to just a few intercessors. I believe we've you know, as you look at church world today, there's not many churches that still have altars or have a wailing bench or a mourner's bench. We've made it all about the production on Sunday morning where you're the consumer or the spectator, and this is the show. We've subbed out worship where you don't have to worship anymore, just watch them worship. We've, served out, we've subbed out Bible study where no one else reads their Bible as long as the pastor reads his Bible and he gives me a 30, 45-minute, 50, 60, 75-minute appetite on Sunday morning. Like, like, we've subbed it all out. And when you read the Sermon on the Mount, this is not a religion Jesus is talking about. It's the ground level boots on the asphalt. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourners. There's this rawness to the Beatitudes. 
And I think what's happened is we've subbed it all out so much, we've lost the emotional, personal experience with the comforter. I don't know how many times I tried to find it, how many times the Bible says cry out to God. Hundreds of times in the Old Testament, New Testament, that as people cried out, even in our Bible reading plan, in the 270 plan this past week, when the Hebrews were delivered out of Egypt, it said they cried out to God and God heard their cries. So the question would be, if they didn't cry out, would God have heard them? Well, why are they crying out? They are mourning over their suffering. They are mourning over their loss. They are mourning over everything they are going through. And they cried out and God heard them. Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus is walking through the city and Bartimaeus starts crying out, Jesus, Jesus, King of David. They told him, shut your mouth, boy. He said, cried out that much louder. Why? There's an anointing on the criers in the kingdom. There is an anointing on those who mourn in the kingdom. And the reason our experience with the Holy Spirit is just caught up on a Sunday morning, worship, stir them up, manipulate them, get them fearful, get them to the altar. The reason we don't experience the comfort of the comforter is because he only comforts those who mourn. Jesus said, blessed are the mourners, for they shall be comforted. I don't think that's just an end times thing, that if you mourn now, you'll have peace and joy in the afterlife. I think what he's saying now is if you mourn now, I'm going to bless you because mourning is the bridge between an experience of life's sadness and heartache and the experience of God's presence and his peace. Mourning is that bridge between the junk of life and the joy of the Holy Ghost. Mourning is the frustrations of brokenness, of losing loved ones, and the connection between the comfort of the Holy Spirit getting closer to me than he's ever been before. See, mourning is this bridge between the junk of life and the best of the kingdom. It's this connection. Why? Because God does not move away from our pain and suffering. He moves towards it. He doesn't move away. For some, I don't know where this concept came from. I've tried to, to research it. But at some point, God started becoming the man upstairs. God started becoming you know, the big judge on the throne. God started becoming this faraway God. And we thought that when we experienced heartache or loss or brokenness, there was actually God moving away from us. And in doing so, People feel that way now that when they're experiencing loss or brokenness, they feel like God is far away. But what actually is happening is God doesn't move away from your heartbreak. He doesn't move away when you lose a loved one. He doesn't turn his head when there's violence. He doesn't turn his head when there's crime. He doesn't turn his head when there's sin. He actually moves towards brokenness in your most hurt painful season, that's when God is the closest. But he's waiting for a cry for him to move in. It's like he's just standing there waiting. He's there. You're so distracted by your pain, you're not paying attention. But the moment you cry, oh God, says it's about time. And he wraps his arms around you to embrace you with the comforts of heaven and the peace of the kingdom of heaven. See, this scripture is one of my favorite scriptures of all time. 
It says, when the righteous do what? Cry for help. The Lord, what? Hears them and delivers them out of all the troubles. The Lord is near to who? The brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. What is the difference? We're all brokenhearted and crushed, but only the ones that cry does a God move close to. See, in our piety, we don't want to admit we're broken. We don't want to admit we're heartbreaking. We just want God to know for us. But the scripture clearly says when you cry, he hears, he delivers, and he moves closer than he's ever been before. See, I, I don't know about you, but as I look back, I can see that in my most broken moments, God was the most near. But our mind tells us, the enemy tells us, see, the enemy and God both want to use pain and suffering. They both, both want to use heartbreak. The enemy wants to use it to push you farther away from God's presence. He wants to use that divorce you went through. He wants to use that loss of your mom or your dad or your grandparent. He wants to use that, that, that diagnosis that you've been through to push you away and tell you, I told you God was far away. I told you God didn't care. At the same time, God wants to use pain and suffering life to draw us closer. He's actually drawing us. See, God is a father, first and foremost. He's always been a father, always will be. And see, as fathers, I know this, that the child I'm the closest to is the one who needs me the most at that particular moment. I love all my kids. I love them all. We say equally. I love them all somewhat equally. but I'm the closest to the one who needs me the most. I was sharing at a funeral this week, Ariana, almost five years ago, I guess now six, she had this terrible bicycle accident. We had been in a mission trip in, in Mexico, got back on a Thursday night. That Friday, hadn't even unpacked our bags yet. She's on her bicycle, goes down a hill, runs into a house. Toy calls me, she says, hey, Ariana's had a bike accident. Bro, like, I've probably still got gravel in my knees and my elbows from bike accidents I've had all my life. So I'm thinking, okay, well, get some peroxides, some alcohol, put it on there, band-aids. She said, no, this is a bad accident. I'm like, well, how bad could... So I drive over there, I get there, she's unconscious. She's covered in blood. I remember picking her up, putting her in my truck. My truck is now covered with blood. I thought to myself, I'm going to take her to Huntsville. I called Dr. Wayne Stanley. I said, hey, here's what's happened. You know, some, she hit her, it looks like she hit her head. He said, just drive her straight to Huntsville. So I start driving. We, we live right by Sky Park. We start driving towards Killen, and she just comes to, and it passes back out. And I thought to myself, she may not make this drive. And so I, I turn into the Killen Police Department. I'm trying to get in. They're shutting the door on me. They said, we're closed for lunch. I said, you're the police department. What kind of Mayberry cop is this? So I'm getting frustrated because she's in the car, like I'm trying to get everything taken care of, and there's a cop there who realizes I'm mad. I think he's about to arrest me. He's like, what's going on? I said, my daughter had a bike accident. She's, I need an ambulance, like now. He goes and checks on her. Deb Putman pulls up. She's a nurse practitioner. She starts treating her. They call the ambulance. At that time, Don Heinkel shows up, who's a doctor. It's like God sent all these angels at one time. They call the ambulance, which sits behind the police department. It takes them five minutes to get the keys and pull around, they life flight her 
to Birmingham, we spent the next month in ICU in Birmingham. You know what was interesting about that, though? We have four kids. We love them all equally. We spent that whole four weeks with Ariana. Yes, our other kids, they had baseball, they had basketball, they had, they had things going on. You could say we neglected them while she needed our attention. Do you realize that in your brokenness, God is right there by your side? At the extent, do you realize the parable of the lost sheep? He's neglecting the other sheep to take care of the one sheep. Do you realize when Lazarus died, what I talked about a minute earlier, that Jesus, as he wept, he experienced the emotions of Mary and Martha, that he went to their brokenness. Jesus didn't say, well, I can't go. I've got other things to do. No, he had a plan of salvation he was working out, but he still made time to move towards their brokenness. See, we serve a God who moves towards brokenness. And when you mourn, it's an invitation into it because this word for, for comfort is amazing. It's paracleo, which is the exact same word Jesus uses later on for the Holy Spirit. Exact same word he uses in John 14 that the helper, the paracleto, is going to come and help you. The same word in John 16 that he uses to say, the helper, the comforter, when he comes, he's going to come. He's going to move closer to you. I'm going away, but the helper, he's saying, blessed are those who mourn, for the Holy Spirit is going to come in your direction. The presence of God, there's the omnipresence of God, which means God is everywhere all the time. Right now, he's in this room. He's in every other church in America. He's in every church in the world. He's in every place, every mountain, every ocean, every golf course. He's everywhere. But the manifest presence is when God makes you aware that he's near. And Jesus saying, blessed are you when you mourn, when you cry out, because then the Holy Spirit will manifest his comfort and help in your life. You know what? When the Holy Spirit shows up, he does not show up empty-handed. When the Holy Spirit shows up, he does not show up empty and void. He shows up full of what? Heaven. He shows up full of peace that surpasses understanding. He shows up with comfort. He shows up with consolation. He shows up with joy. He shows up with power. He shows up with long-suffering. He shows up with love. He shows up with hope. Why? Those aren't just assets that he has. It's who he is. So blessed are those who mourn because the Holy Spirit shows up in your brokenness and he brings every single thing you need in your life to make sure you make it through that moment to face the next day. But the contention is not hurt, but mourning. And until we get past our piety, our religion, our image, our pride, and our egos, until we get the hurt that's on the inside to the outside, we're not going to experience the comforter. In my prayer, yes, I love Pentecost. Yes, I love the gifts of the Spirit. Yes, I love you know, power, altar moments. But you know what I believe the most important ministry of the Holy Spirit is? Outside of convicting converts, is his comfort. Because if he can comfort us through brokenness, we can face the next battle tomorrow. We can face the next battle next week. So this is my cry to you. 
I do not want to be a church that is religious or pious. The Sermon on the Mount was not preached in a cathedral. It was preached on the mountainside. Jesus did not die to start a denomination or start building big buildings with bell towers and steeples and pipe organs. He died and built a church that were blessed are the mourners because my spirit is not going to reside within buildings, but he's going to come to Pericleo, draw near, come alongside of, and show you the comfort of heaven. If you would, I just want you to stand to your feet all over the room. We're going to go back and just, just part of this one song, and this is what I want you to do. I want you matter what it is, any pain or heartbreak that's been on the inside of you, I want you to release through mourning this morning. I want you to cry out to God. Whether that's through your own sin, you want to cry, God, I, I need you to take this out of me. Just like that tax collector, whether it's through loss and you're like, God, I don't understand why, but I need you. I'm hurting. It's hard looking at an empty seat at the dinner table at Thanksgiving to Christmas. I need you whether it's through suffering. Maybe you have a desire for pro-life and to protect babies. Maybe that's your mourning this morning. Maybe it's for racism, systemic racism. You're tired of seeing it in a country that is, should be prosperous and inclusive and equality and freedom. Maybe you just want to pour that out to God this morning. But the mourning is where God moves. The expression is where God pours out. So we're going to open up the altars with these called morning benches, wailing benches. We have the prayer team down. If you just need somebody to agree with you in prayer, we're going to go into one last song. We're going to open this place up to break the strongholds of piety, to break the strongholds of religion, and allow the comforter to give him free space to begin to move in our lives. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you in this place. Father, we thank you right now that you are not a God who moves away. You're a God that moves closer. And Father, we, we all have experienced heartbreak, Father. I've experienced it. The toys experienced it. Our family's experienced it. And Father, right now, I just pray that we can be a people that don't suppress our pain and suffering and heartbreak deeper. Father, we can be a, a people who mourn and release so you can capture those tears in a bottle. And you can send your comforter, the paracleo, the Holy Spirit, to bring the blessing of heaven, the blessing of comfort, the blessing of joy, the blessing of peace, the blessing of hope right here into our presence. So, Father, we thank you for the helper. We thank you for the comforter. We pray for a breaking of the strongholds of of piety and religion and ego and pride. And Father, we pray this is a safe place, a transparent place to meet the comforter in Jesus' name.